Good morning, my name is Matt and I serve on the Elder Council here. Uh, today I'll be reading from Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgiven everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is shut now. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the ones who seek find and the one who knocks it will be open what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, before I start, let, let's start off with a, a word of prayer. Father God, uh, we come to you and we thank you so much for this time. We pray that we can worship you through song, through the preaching of his word, and through um, our whole mind and body being focused on you this morning. We just pray that you are here with us and that we would, uh, the songs and the, the words that are spoken today would be um, music to your ears, Lord. We just pray that you would move in our lives, that we would uh, be changed by your word from the inside out, that we would focus on you, and that we would be changed by your word. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. So uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm Pastor Todd. I'm the, uh, the student pastor here at, um, uh, what is this church called? Sorry, uh, FEC Medford. I'm sorry. Um, uh, whew, good start, Todd. Um, uh, I just got back from uh, the blessing of middle school camp. Uh, and I want to just uh, thank you for all of those who were uh, praying and supported uh, the kids going to camp. Um, the best news that I could ever give would be a salvation. And we, I just want to tell you that we had a student um, submit their lives to Christ for the first time. So that's a testament to this church. Yes, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, there were really gross games and a lot of awesome things. 
uh, that happened. Uh, but the most important thing was the kids not only enjoyed their time, but uh, we have a new brother in Christ um, uh, in the family of God. And so just wanted to say thank you um, for all the prayers and the uh, support um, that you give to the students of this church. Um, before, um, oh, one more thing. Uh, if you did lose your uh, glasses on the way in, they're just on, uh, on the way out. If you want to um, give them, um, they're just lying on the, uh, um, the, what, the I don't know, the, the, the table. Thank you. I couldn't say table. Jeez. Uh, they're lying on the table in the back as you go out. So we have them. We found them. Um, so you don't have to uh, worry. Uh, I do want to start off this message with a little bit of a warning. Um, as I was studying this passage, um, I, w- I became, the, like, the more convicted I became uh, for myself. Uh, we are going to be looking at prayer and, obviously, the Lord's Prayer, as we read uh, today. And to be honest, I'm, I'm going to say prayer is not my strongest suit. It's the spiritual discipline I, I feel like I need the most work on. Um, and so as I was reading and studying for this, I want to tell you that I was convicted and I was um, preaching. I'm, I'm literally preaching to myself here. Um, this is as much for you as it is for me. So I want to assure you, as I preach this morning, I want to assure you I'm in the boat with you um, and I'm uh, working this out for myself. And so um, I was challenged by this passage and, and my prayer is that actually that you would be challenged um, and that I will not be the only one um, to be uh, convicted by this, this passage this morning. Um, this, when I was growing up, I actually, um, one of the things that I, I grew up in a church that was um, very liturgical, or what we would know as high church, uh, mean, and all I mean by that is that there were a lot of rote prayers. So we said the Lord's Prayer almost or every single week in church. Um, I memorized it, and um, I actually memorized it before I did a lot of Bible reading, so one of the fascinating things is when I started reading the Bible regularly, I was like, oh, the Lord's Prayer is in here, guys. Um, and so didn't know that that was a thing. And so, uh, and one of the things that I really enjoyed about this church is that because of these responsive prayers, usually, one of the things that they did was, it's called the, uh, the peace offering. So the, the, the pastor would get up and he would say this uh, prayer that you could follow along in, in the bulletin. And, and then at the end, he would say, and peace be with you, and the response from the congregation was, and also with you. And that got so rote into me, like so ingrained in me, that when I watch Star Wars movies, they say, may the force be with you, and I'm like, and also with you. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and, and the reason I bring this up is because, because of these traditions, which I, I do honor, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking down to these things, they're very... Um, they actually made an impact so much so that I've actually memorized scripture because of it. So that's a good thing. Um, but sometimes when we memorize things or we, come, we get so used to them, we forget that there's more for us to learn than just the words. We think that we've exhausted all of it. And what we know about the, the Bible and even in the Lord's Prayer that we'll see today is there's always something new. God is so good, his word is so good that there's always more to understand. There's always more of it to get. There's always more God for us to uh, get because of his infinite um, being. And so, trust me when I say that God has something for you this morning, even if you grew up in a a church like I did who said the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again, I I pray that you will understand that there is actually something here for you. And uh, so... Those are my two caveats before I get started. And so, 
Um, I started uh, being a youth pastor back in 2013, uh, way back in 2013. Um, I did an exercise with the kids. Uh, this is when I was a pe- youth pastor in New Jersey. Um, and so I wanted them to, to, to split into small groups of two or three students and basically draw what their, how they would view God. Like, what was, how did they view God and, and make a picture of how they viewed God. Um, I should have known better. Um, but one of the pictures that really has st- stood out to me and has, that really has man, just made an impact on even me now, like I still remember it for this reason, it was a group of uh, middle school girls, and, and they came up, and at first I didn't really recognize the picture of what, how they were viewing God, and like basically it was just a box. But as they started explaining it, I realized that it was a vending machine. And instead of putting in dollars, you would put in prayers. And instead of like candy and, and, and chips, you would get out things like blessings, like a new house, healing, uh, a new job, a new car. Um, they even had a little doll that represented a person and it said joy on it. Um, and so really creative. Um, and this is how they viewed God as a, as a vending machine. Now, I, I want to preface this before I go off on this analogy. I really do want to say that I really appreciated that these girls were very honest with how they viewed God. Um, and to be fair, I, I bet some of us, including myself, view God in this way sometimes. We think God is somehow our blessing vending machine, that when we pray, when we're seeking him, uh, we're seeking not only him, but we're actually seeking our health, wealth, and prosperity. We use it, prayer, as a way to, uh, we don't use it as a way to communicate with our Father. We use it as uh, the things that we want and the things that we need, and therefore, we just if we think if we just say the right things, if we just say things in the right way, or if we're uh, if we're good enough, if we pray hard enough, if we read the Bible enough, um, God will give me exactly what I ordered when I ordered it, and and so we turn prayer into a list of demands, and instead of understanding that it's actually a communication with the the our beautiful and our infinite Creator God, think about this for a second with me is, is when you pray, or when we pray, do you find that you expect God to answer in the time and way in which you wanted? Let me repeat that. Like, when we pray, do we find that we expect God to answer in the time and in the manner that we wanted? We are treating God like a cosmic vending machine. And so what I want to explore today is what is the solution? How can we understand prayer in its proper context? How can we have a true perspective of prayer? Uh, we, how can we pray to God expectantly without treating him like a vending machine? How can we see prayer in its proper context? And I, and I believe that the, the, the solution is actually found in the text this morning as we look at the Lord's Prayer. We will get a better understanding of the role of prayer in our faith. And so open with me, if you haven't already, to uh, Luke chapter 11, and we'll be starting in verse 1. This is what it says in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. 
And, and the first point that we will, we will see here is that prayer is essential. Prayer is essential. We start off this passage by seeing that Jesus is already in a secluded place praying. And this is not the first time that we see Jesus pray in the Bible, um, especially in Luke. He prays all the time in Luke. We see a praying Savior throughout the book of Luke, um, but also throughout the rest of Scripture. In Luke chapter 6, 12, this is what it says. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. And this, is, this prayer right here is in the midst of right before he would select the 12 apostles. And so we see him praying in the midst of a decision to make. And we even see that, that prayer was a habit for Jesus. Like this was not an unusual thing for Jesus to be found praying. In Luke chapter 5, just a chapter earlier, says this is what it says in verse 16. He says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Like this is, as crowds are surrounding him, Jesus would take the time to seclude himself and pray to his heavenly Father. And so, of course, the first reaction is, well, if Jesus prayed, therefore I should pray. And that's a good lesson to learn, is if Jesus prayed, then by far we need to pray more. But what is interesting about Jesus praying is that not only is he fully human and and therefore, he needs that connection, just like we do. He often spends time in prayer with his father because he, being human, needs to talk, needs to have a relationship with his father. And he wants to spend time with his father. We must not forget that Jesus, while being uh, human, was also fully God. And I, and I think part of this, we, we, the reason why he needs prayer is actually found in John chapter 15. So if you want to turn with me to John 15, I promise this is not going to be a, a lot of flipping back and forth just right here in the start. But John chapter 15, we see a little bit of the reason and the essentialness of prayer. It says in verse 1, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, Jesus here is showing the essential, our need, our desire, our, our whole being is in need to be connected with Jesus in prayer. One of the ways we abide in Jesus, as he says here in John, is through prayer. The, the, the way we abide and connect to the life-giving nature of Jesus is to pray. Our need for God is evident. It's, even in this passage, is without prayer, we will wither. We, without being attached to the vine that is the life-giving nature of Jesus, we will wither. Prayer is essential to our faith. It's not just, it's not optional. 
This is not something we can just go, oh, well, I didn't pray today. Prayer is not optional. We, we, we cannot act like our prayer lives is just something that we do as an add-on to our faith. We, we shouldn't treat it or treat prayer as if it's an optional, optional side to the main course of our faith. It's not like we can order, like we go to Chick-fil-A, like the, to the drive-thru and say, hey, I'd like some uh, Christian faith today. And, you know, I'm really feeling like a, a, a side of uh, prayer on the side. No, no, it comes with the meal. Like it's, it's all encompassing. Prayer is a part of our faith. We need it. Jesus models the fact that he always, he's, he's, constantly seen as prayer. We need prayer if we are to abide in Jesus to produce fruit in our lives. If we don't pray, we're not abiding in God. And this is how essential prayer is to our faith. But prayer is not just essential. Our second point is that that prayer is God-centered. Look at with me in Luke 11 in verse 2. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So it wasn't an unusual thing that the disciples were asking Jesus how to pray. This was very normal of rabbis to teach their disciples how to pray. And so the disciples were asking something that is very normal. And Jesus says something very, um, uh, Jesus says that this is how you should pray. This is a model. This is an outline of how you should pray. It's something that we imitate, not necessarily word for word, although that's okay if you do recite the Lord's Prayer regularly, but to give us an outline, something to start with. And, and he says, start with Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Jesus is making sure that our focus in prayer is God. That it's the first thing that he tells his disciples, it should be focused on God, but not just God, but God exalting, God honoring, and that his sovereign plan for the future would come. One of the mistakes that the girls made in that group, and that I think we make in our life, is that we think our prayers are me-focused. Instead of praising God for who he is and asking that his name should be revered as holy and that his kingdom should come on earth, Instead, we focus on our needs, our wants, our list of demands. Think of it this way. If this past week God answered all of your prayers in the way you wanted, how many lives would be changed for eternity? Would there be a change in God's kingdom coming? Or would, you, would your life just get more comfortable and easy for yourself, for those, for, for yourself and those around you? See, when we pray, first and foremost, our prayer should be centered around God, praising and honoring him. Why? I'm glad you asked. Who's the one who created you? Who 
is the one that loved you so much that sent his son to die on the cross that while we were still enemies of him, still gave up his life and died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him? Who is the one that sustains all things? That every breath you take is just an act of more grace for you and me. By his very nature is sustaining not just us living, but is sustaining the, and holding the entire universe together. And yet is still mindful of you. Knows every hair on your head. Yeah, those are some pretty good things of why our prayers should need to be focused on him and not us. Not to mention the fact that by focusing our prayers on God, it allows us to recenter ourselves. It, it, and what I mean by that, it, it reorients our mind to realize that how dependent we actually are on God. Our biggest lie we've ever told ourselves is that we are actually in control. That, that, that we can figure this, this life out on our own. That, that God is just something that we can put to the side when we need him. Like when, when we find a little trouble, oh, I might, I might have screwed up here in my life and so... I just need a little God on the side. By praying to God, our Father, we are reminded that he is God and we are not. We are reminded of the sin of Adam and Eve, that, that, that their first sin was to, to think that they are God. But we cannot be satisfied without him. And so prayer is to be God-centered but prayer is also about being dependent on God. Look with me at verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. And so I know some of you are like, that's a comma, Todd, that's a comma. It's okay. Promise we'll get to it. Give us this day our daily bread. So let's imagine for a second, if you will, that you were out of a job. You were seeking a new job, um, and you were currently unemployed. And you're needing one to pay the bills. So like this is kind of a, a dire situation. Need a job to pay the bills. And imagine you got a job offer. But that job would only pay you what you needed to survive for that day. That single day. Most likely, none of us would take that job. Not at least without a 401k. But Jesus is teaching here his disciples about the provision of God. When we see the daily bread, we were immediately reminded of the time in Exodus when the Israelites were in the wilderness. And if we remember that story, so they were wandering around in the wilderness, hungry, and so God said, I'm going to provide manna. So he would rain down manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And what were the rules? They were to go out each day and collect as much as they needed, and they would be satisfied for that day. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, except for one day, which was the day before Sabbath, so they would actually collect two days' worth of manna, so that because the rule on Sabbath was that you would not go out and work, so they would rest. And so God would provide two days in, in that case. But what's amazing is that no one was without need. 
they all had exactly what they needed for that day, and they had double daily bread on the weekends. It was great. God did this for 40 years in the wilderness. God provided each day without fail. If they had any leftovers, they would spoil. And God continually, if they went out on the Sabbath, they would realize that there was no manna to collect. So the people of God were getting their daily bread without fail for 40 years. Why? What was the point? Why would God do this? It showed that literally in the wilderness, God was providing for their needs, not only to just eat, but to survive. They would have died without God providing manna. God was sustaining them through the manna. Jesus is telling his disciples, pray that God would be, that you would be fully dependent and trusting in God. That give us our day, our daily bread, is not just give us what we need for this day, but that we would have a dependence on God. That if we did not pray this day, that we would not be able to survive. I want to be clear. So if we have a lot of things, if we have... if God has blessed us with a, um, to, to have material blessings, we pray that God would give us opportunities in life to depend on him more. Let, let's face it. Like, I mean, when I leave here, I'm going to go eat lunch. I'm not questioning whether I will eat lunch. I'm going to eat lunch, and it's really just a matter of where and how much of lunch I will eat. I mean... I get it. I... <laughs> it's just not going to be Chick-fil-A, let's be honest. Okay. Um, and, and so we're, we're not in need of lunch. I'm not worried where my three meals are going to come from today. And of course, dependence on God can happen at any income level. I'm not saying that o- only people who are poor can, can depend on God. But there is a reason that God is asking us that we are going to need and have opportunities to, to depend on God more. So when we do have a lot, when we do have many things, that we would have opportunities to depend on God more. And, and here's the reality that we are, is if God blessed you with a lot, Let's not fool ourselves into think that we actually have so much control over our lives. That we don't need God. We don't need to depend on God. I think this is a factual statement, and you can correct me later if I'm wrong. Everyone in this room, or sorry, everyone in this room, life could drastically change with one phone call. That's it. Our lives could drastically change with just a single phone call. So this is the dependence on God that we're talking about. This is the reason Jesus is asking to pray for our daily bread, that we would be so, inde- so, sorry, so dependent on God that we would need to see that he is in control, that he is needed, that we need to be connected with him for our lives because he is the sustainer of all things. 
that regardless of our lifestyle or material blessing, regardless of how meager or great they are, in fact is nothing compared to the one who sustains all things. We are in desperate need of God each and every day. Let us not think otherwise. So prayer is not just about being dependent on him, but prayer is a battle. Look with me, in, starting in verse 4. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not in temptation, into temptation. Let's start with the forgiveness part of this verse. Forgive us our sins. My first thought is, why is this a battle? How is this a battle? Well, let's start with our, our lives before trusting our lives to Christ. We were in open rebellion against the perfect and holy God, his enemies, in fact, and separated from him because of our sin. And God, even in our rebellion, sent Jesus, who literally put his life on the line, lived a perfect life, died on the cross as a substitution for our rebellion and sin against God. He rose again three days later, defeating the penalty of death and sin so that we could be redeemed and adopted sons and daughters of God again. If that's not the epitome of a battle, I don't know what is. We have death. We have weapons, in this case a cross. Our forgiveness was bought for a price, as there's a ransom, as the Bible says. And for those of us who have trusted Christ to our, our, our lives, our sins have been paid for. The forgiveness of sins is literally a spiritual battle. So when, we, when, when he starts talking about the forgiveness of sins and forgiving others, we're actually entering into this battle. Prayer is a battle. We can even see this in Ephesians 6. So many people say that the, uh, at the end of the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, Paul mentions the fact that the word is the sword of the spirit. And that is true. I, I don't want to discount that. That literally says that in the Bible. But on top of that, he also says, with prayer. Those two are tied together and cannot be separated. Part of our offensive weapon, the only offensive weapon in our arsenal that we have as Christians in our faith is the Word of God and prayer. The sword of the Spirit. So we have this war raging in us, fighting against sin, forgiveness of our sin. Then not only do we have this battle raging in us for our own sins that we commit, but then we have to bring other people into it. Since we are so me-focused and me-oriented and selfish to the core of who we are, forgiving others is a whole different story. We, we actually have to take our sinful selves and lay it aside and say, hey, someone sinned against me or someone I know sinned, and i got to forgive them. Forgiving others who have wronged us is another spiritual battle. We want to hold the grudge. We want to continue to hold that against that person. I 
I've learned a lot about forgiveness uh, through becoming a father <laughs> um, because I've also learned how useless it is, it is to be mad at it or angry at a baby who is crying. It doesn't help. I just, I just want you to know. They don't care. <laughs> and... It's just a humbleness that we have to have that we don't have inherently. To forgive others, we need to forget ourselves, to lay our selfishness aside, forgetting, we actually have to remember that God so loved us that when we sinned, he still died on the cross for us, that he gave us that much grace, and because of that grace, I get to forgive others as well. Forgiveness and forgiveness of others is a battle. But then we have the battle of temptation. Our lives are marked with temptation. It is absolutely everywhere. And it's not hard to find. In fact, I would say that it's even getting easier to find and becoming more and more normalized in our culture today. Now, I'm going to share something, but I want to... Again, put a caveat to it. This is just an experience that my wife had while on a message board while she was searching for um, help with our crying baby. Um, she clicked on a link that, that basically was on a message board that had a mom that had a problem with her and her husband. She was in, in, in need of, of some advice and asking other moms uh, for the advice on a quote-unquote proper response to her situation because she felt a little slighted by this. Um, and the, the situation that she found herself in is she caught her husband watching pornography and was asking other women for advice, which um, I was surprised at the responses that she got, though. The vast majority, vast majority, I mean, eight, to, eight out of ten, maybe even nine out of ten women were telling her, it's no big deal, get over it, Stop being angry. There's no worry. At least he's not doing this. At least he's not cheating. That's, that's a whole other twisted way. Now, I, I will caveat this. This is not a study that I did. This is not like some Barna study that took scientific things. This is just anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. It's not a Christian website, so it wasn't like a bunch of Christians were saying that. But I can tell you there was only one response that said, yeah, that, that, that might be a problem. The, the reason I, I bring this up is because temptation is all around us. And to be fair, it's been around since Adam and Eve, and humans are really good at it. We've gotten better at it, probably. But it does show that the world around us is getting more and more okay with the, that, the things that we see as sin. That our sin, the battle is going to be real for us when we fight temptation. This is why, he, Paul, I mean Paul, Jesus is saying that, that prayer is a battle. We need to say, help, lead us not into temptation, God. Let us be prepared for this because it's serious. The battle is real, real and we need God on our side to face even temptation. So I want to read a quote, and it's a longer quote from a uh, book that I've read by John Piper. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad. 
And he has to say this about prayer. And you can follow along on the screen. It says, probably the number one reason prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you know life, or sorry, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. He goes on to say later, but we have, what have millions of Christians done? We have stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peace and prosperity. And what did we do with the walkie-talkie? We tried to rig it up as an intercom in our houses and cabins and boats and cars. Not to call in for firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comforts in the den. Prayer is a battle, and we should treat it as such. Let us not forget regardless of the comforts that we enjoy in this world, we need to realize that our salvation was a spiritual battle that the co- and it cost the Son of God his life. That this spiritual battle of forgiving others is just as hard because we would like to hold a grudge and to think that justice is ours to dole out instead of God's. Prayer is a battle. And finally, this last section that we're going to find is that Jesus teaches us that answered prayer is always good. Now, this is a larger section, but if you will, read with me in verses 5 through 13 in Luke 11. It says, And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and uh, give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, and said, we'll give, uh, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, I, I want to say a lot of the weirdness, give an egg and get a scorpion. I will say this is probably just language um, things like raining cats and dogs. It's not literal, but it's showing a word um, picture known to these things. But when Jesus is telling his, what Jesus is telling his disciples that even the people who are answer, like, interacting with each other, will give good gifts. Yes, the neighbor will give fruit like food, even if it's a little bit inconvenient to his neighbor because it's late at night. He'll do it. And even a father will give good gifts to his children, even someone who doesn't know Christ. 
He says, even as evil as humans are in their fallen state, even they know how to give good gifts to children and other people. We know how to give good things. So he compares that with how much more will our Father give us, meaning those of us who are in Christ, his disciples, good gifts. The problem is, is we have to reorient what our thinking is about what answered prayer actually incurs. I've heard preachers say that God always answers your prayers. His, his answers are, are, are this, yes, no, and not yet. What we have to reorient ourselves is, this passage is actually teaching is, even one, each one of those answers is good. So if he answers yes, that's good. If he answers no, that's good. If he answers not yet, that's good. So when we pray and God says no or not yet, those are good answers. In fact, I would argue that the no and the not yet are better than what you would expect him to answer if you were whatever you were seeking in prayer. But this also, this passage has something more to tell us about prayer. In verse 13, he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to, to those who ask him? Jesus is telling his disciples that when, when we have trusted our lives to Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. The, the third member of the Trinity our Trinitarian God, indwells us. And, and this literally is the best gift we could ever receive. Any other blessing, spiritual or physical, is second to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's second to salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Anything else we can receive is second to that. See, if we have that perspective in our prayers, when, when we are asking, when we when we seek God to fix a situation, when we seek God for healing, when we seek God for whatever we are seeking, when we have this understanding that the best gift that we have already, we have already received it through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, then we can start to see that the, the material blessings, the other spiritual blessings that we get, we put those in their proper place. And we see those not as Comforts in the den, as, as John Piper said, but we can see them as not as God giving us a cosmic vending machine, but simply a gift out of his love and his grace. This is our reorientation of prayer. So let's recap for a second. Prayer is essential. Prayer is God-centered. Prayer is is about dependence on God. Prayer is a battle. And finally, answered prayers are always good. So where does this leave my prayer life? Where does this, where, how do I go forward? How do I, how does Monday look differently for me and my prayer life and, and just my life in general? Based on this, this passage of the Lord's Prayer, what, what am I to do? One, I, I have to understand, and, and like I said, this is, I'm in the same boat with you. I have to understand that prayer is not optional. We need to see the necessity and the urgency of prayer. 
It's something we need. It's not just a spiritual discipline. It, it, it is in the sense that we do, it will take discipline, it will take habit and routine to do it. But it is something way more than that. We need prayer. Our spiritual lives depend on God and being a, abiding in him, as Jesus said in John. It's not just something we do on weekends or something we will go get to later. If we truly believe that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle for our salvation or other salvation or, or people around us, their salvation, and even just answered prayers in general or to fight temptation, all of those things need urgency. We have to understand that we're not just asking God for things that we need and we want. It's not about us. It's something I need God to sustain me for this next day. We need to view it as prayer, as our daily bread. If I don't get my bread today, if I don't get my prayer in today, I will wither. This is how much we need God in our lives, how much we need prayer in our lives. Number two, we need to shift our focus from ourselves to God himself. What if we took one day where instead of asking God for anything, we praised him for who he was. I thanked him for the blessing that I already have him in my life. I thanked him for the sweetness and the pre of his presence in my life. What if I actually kept a short list of the, the sins I've committed that I needed to confess to him and prayed that my heart would be softened so that I could forgive others and those around me? How would my perspective on prayer change if I just did that for one whole day? What about a weekend? What about an entire week? How would my life and my perspective about prayer and, and how much I need his presence in my life be changed by simply doing that? Instead of asking, just praising. I, I have to give a shout out uh, to, to our church here and, and specifically Seth because that's what I love about worship here is because... I know Seth doesn't just pick songs that he likes to hear or likes to play. I'm sure that's part of it, but he picks prayers in his songs. Those songs are prayers that we sing every morning. And on that, he actually prays for us in between so that we can orient our lives and focus on the needs of our brothers and sisters around the world. The the things that we need in our church, and we focus our eyes and our hearts in that time to God. And, and, and I want to praise Seth for doing that because I think it's needed for our church. And I, I thank him for doing so. So number three, our, 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 our final application before we done. How are your prayers impacting the kingdom of God? Instead of focusing on the things we want, what if we were to focus on his kingdom? As God, who you could share the gospel with in your life, your friends, your family, that 
awkward person down the street, your neighbor or yourself, I don't know. Um, ask God for the opportunity to, what, to have opportunities to share the gospel with other people. Ask God for what I like to call divine appointments. Those times when you can't like deny that God is asking you to share the gospel and you go, oh, it's one of these times. Oh, okay. Right now when I'm getting gas in the car or getting filled up, kind of awkward. I don't even know this guy. Or is it just serving? Serving them, the, the people that you don't know, that don't know Christ, and, and loving them. Serving them with your time and your energy. Ask, ask for God those times and those, those things that will impact the kingdom rather than asking for yourself. So, and, and the things that you do have, the, the, the car, the house, your friends, your family, the money, your time, how can you use those for, for his kingdom? What would it look like to use your house and open it up to, for a Bible study or for an awesome meal? Your time and your money. Think of how you can imp- use those for his kingdom. Prayer is powerful and it's needed. If we orient our prayers around the outline that Jesus gave us here and his disciples, I believe that we'll start to see prayer not as a, just as a spiritual discipline, but as a daily need, a longing for God's presence in your life. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this Sunday morning and we ask that your name would be praised. That your name would be revered. That your kingdom would come. Lord, give us a sense of the need that we need to be connected with you. Lord, let us see your goodness, see how much we need you to continue to show us your grace and your love through your will and your sovereign knowledge of all things. We trust in you, we depend on you, and let us never forget that you are God and we are not. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray, amen.